Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We started last week a short little worship series about becoming more. What does it mean to be a disciple? And a lot of this has been coming from this book that I read as an undergraduate at the College of William & Mary in my religious studies courses, which were purely a scholastic academic enterprise. They were not meant to necessarily equip me for seminary, but in one of my theory of religion classes, we read this book, The Study of Religion in an Age of Global Dialogue. And this book by Leonard Swindler and Paul Moses seeks to come up with a way to have a common language, a base, if you will, for us to discuss religion with other religions. And here in the United States, as I mentioned last week, sometimes that can be a difficult thing to process because those of us from the Abrahamic faith tradition, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, we all focus around the centrality of our deity, our God. But the more that we start to expand outward in all direction, we start to encounter a number of world religions that don't have one God. Some of them have a lot. Uh, It is a colloquial phrase that Hinduism has 330 million gods. And then you have religions with no God, Taoism, Confucianism, and Buddhas. So how do we talk to one uh, one another? How do we talk about religion in a way that will allow us to understand what discipleship might look like for each of us? And so these two gentlemen here have given us the four C's, creed, code, cult, and community. And last week we talked about creed. Creed is that cognitive aspect of a religion. It is everything that goes into the explanation, the intellectual piece of who we are. And flowing from that is code, which we will talk about today. Code is of behavior and ethics. It includes all the rules and customs of action that somehow follow from the one aspect or another of our creed. So it presupposes that how we act is supposed to be informed by what we think. Seems to make generalized sense, right? That how we act as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, should come from what we know of Christ. Hence the bracelet. What would Jesus do? Well, the hope is that if we know what Jesus would do, then we can make that happen. We can manifest it in our lives. Easier said than done, right? Just because you know what Jesus would do doesn't mean that you want to do what Jesus would do or that you feel equipped, empowered, capable, strong, courageous enough to do it. And yet this is precisely what we're called to do. Jesus even throws down the gauntlet to us. Can you imagine being one of the early disciples and following Jesus around when suddenly he says the words of our second scripture reading today, if you want to be my follower, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Daily. Not just on Sundays. Daily. And that's a hard thing for us every single day. You mean I don't get a day off from taking up my cross? Nope, we don't. And it's very difficult for us as Christians because our culture here in the United States, you know, there are lots of variances of regional culture. There's certainly a lot that goes into 
what we are experiencing, what the expectations are of our community and our society based on where we are currently living in the United States. For instance, I grew up in Northern Virginia and the culture up there was a lot more type A than down here in Crozet, which I find to be very type C, very communal. I just made that up, type C. <laughs> but, Still, the point remains that there's a difference in how you live there, which, by the way, are very different from where my last church was of eight years in Norfolk. Norfolk had Norfolk time, which is no time at all. In fact, the only time that you could count on was high tide when the streets would flood. That was it. Everything else was kind of ish. We're going to start at like 11-ish. Well, I grew up in Northern Virginia. You start at 11, you better be there at 1045. But that was not the way that it was because of the regional cultural differences. And so here we are again. What do we do? What does it mean for us to be a disciple and how we act? How does that look? And it looks very different, right? I mean, you live your lives in America, and a lot of us were living our lives and being very careful with our money and planning and being so gentle that we would be able to, at one point, retire. I hear retirement is lovely. Oh yeah? Okay. I hear it's great. I hear that it's you know, a beautiful thing to be able to have your time to devote to your passion projects or to the things that you feel called and led and want to do, that that would be a fabulous thing. I also have noticed that here, where type C people are, that it often means that sometimes you're busier in retirement than you ever were when you were working. Because there's a lot going on in the community and a lot of places where people need help. But I had an experience about a month ago where one of my colleagues had retired. And every June at annual conference when Methodists, the clergy and the laity, delegates gather around in one of our holy cities, you know, usually Hampton or, or Roanoke, one of our holy cities in Virginia, we gather there. And one of the things we do is have a service of retirement where we recognize all the clergy that are getting ready to retire, which means come July 1st, they're free. They can do what they want to do. They can go where they want to go. They can figure out Sunday. It looks very different when you're not actively appointed as clergy. And so I remember watching one of my colleagues in ministry that I had been blessed to know stand up there and, and get recognized for all of his decades of ministry. And then, you know, we come back to wherever you are from. In my case, came back to Crozet and went back to our ministry. But then all of a sudden, last month, he shows up here at our 11 o'clock worship service. And I recognize him, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you look great. Retirement looks really good on you. He says, yeah, doesn't it? Feels great. And I was really impressed with him. I mean, he just had this glow about him, this aura of, like, liberation, and then his wife walked up. I had missed her. She was doing something else, and she came in, and I was like, whoa, I thought retirement looked good on him. It looks really good on you. And she's like, yeah, it's so nice to have more autonomy in our lives. Because the truth is, when you're clergy, you know, Sundays are a little busy. And when a lot of the world is on vacation, we are not. We don't get a Christmas break. We don't get a, a, a spring break, especially when it's Holy Week. Not happening. Not happening. And so our time gets to be a little different. And we think about that. And when you're, when you're clergy, you're constantly going, you know, I realize that weekends 
are open time for a lot of people in the country, but um, I only have half a weekend because I got to be somewhere on Sunday. And people will go, oh, well, we're going to do this event. You should come and like, you can come with us. This whole group of us are going to go to this place and do this thing. And you're like, are we going to be gone on Sunday? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, nope, not happening. Nope. Sorry. They're like, you can't take a Sunday off? Yeah, I can take a Sunday off. I can take four off a, a year. Four. How many have you taken off this year? You don't have to answer that. But that's it. That's all we get. We get, we get four a year. And that's, you know, that means that our life is kind of centered around making sure we're here on Sunday. And so when you have a different pace, you realize that you are doing things differently than other people. A lot of people have a different way of looking at the calendar, the week, the weekend. They look at things differently. You know, and I recognize that as clergy, a lot of you are thinking, well, that's kind of what you signed up for. Yes, granted it is. But I'm not the only person in church on a Sunday. There are a lot of other people whose discipleship is very apparent on Sunday because they are those that are giving up of their Sundays to help lead worship from the chancel. They are those that are giving up of their Sundays to help be volunteers, to have a ministry of hospitality, to greet you when you come in or help you find the restrooms or find the nursery. We have people who are a part of making sure that they are present because they know that it's important for the body of Christ to be gathered. And so there are other people, not just clergy, who make sacrifices because they believe that there is something that is important that is happening on a Sunday. So for some, it's children's ministry. For some, later on this afternoon, it could be preparing for next week's youth ministry. There are all kinds of things that are happening on Sundays, but it's not just Sundays. Jesus says, do this daily. And that's exhausting. Daily? A few times in my life, I have gone over a week without a day off. It never goes well. In fact, I had gone two weeks without a day off just previously, and on Saturday, my voice went on strike. My voice was like, I've had enough. Phone calls, meetings, conversations, I'm done, and I am taking a break, and you will now be silent for a day. I didn't like this at all. And fortunately for me, my son is with his father, and fortunately for me, I could actually just take a day and not have to see anybody or, like, say anything to anybody. But I found myself sitting here going, you know what? It's a lot harder to be me if I don't have a voice. Even the dogs were like, why aren't you talking? Because, yeah, when nobody else is around, I talk to the dogs. And so what we have is, this kind of experience where you understand who you are as a disciple. You know who you are right now. You're aware of who you are. You're here, or you're watching online, or you're watching this archive. You are aware of who you are as a disciple, and you have some kind of standard for yourself of who you are. But Jesus is saying that that should be something that you work on actively every single day. Now, if you went to the gym every single day of your life, at some point, some tendon, some bones, some muscles, or even just your stamina is going to cut out like my voice yesterday and be like, nope, taking a break. Taking a break. So is it reasonable for Jesus to say, take up your cross and follow me every day? Is it reasonable? We don't really get a say in that, do we? If God says this is how it will be, this is how it will be. 
But what God is talking about is spiritual lifting. God is talking about picking up your spirituality every single day. And that is heavy lifting. That is hard. And we serve a savior, God incarnate in Jesus Christ, who knew heavy lifting. I don't want to burst anybody's bubbles, but Jesus was probably not a carpenter. That was a, a mistranslation. He was probably not a carpenter. And that's going to wreck a whole lot of things saying that. But let me tell you why I'm telling you that. I'm not telling you that so that you will be heartbroken and go, why have we heard this? What I'm telling you is, is that Jesus was probably a stonemason. And if you go back and you look at what Jesus is talking about repeatedly in the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you find is that Jesus spends a lot of time talking about building buildings and stones. Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. And when I return in glory on the last day, I will be the capstone. For I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. I am the builder and I am the one that will complete this. And he is building upon a tradition that goes all the way back to the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament to the prophets, where they talked about God's people being a light on the hill, a city on the hill. And that its lights would shine in the darkness and guide all nations to their God. That that was the vision. That's why the people needed to protect their faith and make their faith so pure so that their light would shine. If you've ever been in the darkness and you try to turn on a lantern or a flashlight and one of the first things you usually do is clean that glass so that the beam will be bright. And that's what we're called to do as disciples. We're called to make sure that we are not obstructing the light of Christ that is shining forward in us. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Because every day it seems like dust gets on there, fingerprints, you got to change your batteries, you got all kinds of issues on what's happening. And really, you've got life. Family, friends, work, school, obligations, commitments, health, rest. All of these things are battling for your priority. And when Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily, I'm sure all of them went, wait, what? Because in Jesus' day, the cross was a sign of capital punishment. It was the ultimate punishment that the Roman authorities could inflict on any person. And so here is Jesus, he's been healing the sick, he's been forgiving the unforgivable, he's been feeding the hungry, he's been doing all of these wonderful things, sharing God's word, giving hope to a hopeless people who have been oppressed not just by the Romans, but by countless others before them. And all of a sudden he's talking about death. Why is he talking about death? Why would you want to take up your cross and follow somebody who's going to go die on a hill? Because where he dies will be the first place that the glimpse of God's light will shine. That's why Christians have been putting crosses up and on hills forevermore. Because light shines through that. There's no body up there to obliterate the light. The light was not 
And so Jesus is reminding us, you've got to work through those things that would bring forth your death. You can't just decide to focus on the things that would cause you to die because of the weight of the gravitas of your sin only on Sundays. You can't do it. You have to do it more often than that. In fact, every day is an opportunity to look at who we are and who we're called to be and make an effort to get there closer, step by step, day by day. Every day is an opportunity. Because the power of knowing that Jesus is a stonemason and a builder is this. You and I are empowered to build. We can build. We are being equipped with blessings and opportunities and gifts and graces and time and talent. And all of those are bricks. And we could build whatever we wanted. All of us know people who have used those to hurl them at other people and hurt them. All of us know people who have used those bricks to build a wall, a wall between themselves and God, a wall between them and other people. But that is not what Jesus was inviting us to. Jesus was inviting us to build a dwelling place, a place not just for ourselves and our God, but for others. And every day of your life, you are laying bricks. What are you building? Some of you have already started to build a place where your family and your friends can find sanctuary. Some of you have built missions and ministries, places where the hungry can come and be fed. Some of you have built places for healing and wholeness, where people know that they can come and you will hold what they say in confidence. And just in knowing that they can be truly vulnerable and authentic is a piece of healing. And so all of these things are simultaneously built, being built because a city is not a single building. A city is building upon building upon building, gathered together a community of what we build. We build as individual disciples and we build as a community. And repeatedly in the Old Testament, God tells God's people, if you want to build something, build my house first. Build my house first. And so we have this opportunity every day to build. And you got to take up your cross to build. You have to focus on what you are and who you are and what you feel called to be and who you want to be. And all of those things are what we think about and what we try to overcome, what we ask through prayers of petition and pardon for God to help us be better. Because some of us are building on the legacies of others. Today in the life of Christianity, not just in the United Methodist tradition, is All Saints Day. It's a day when the names of those who have been members of different congregations have passed away since last All Saints Day, and their names are called. My last church used to toll a bell. Here today we will light a candle for them. There are many different ways that you can remember those who have gone before. But you don't stop building until the day you die. Maybe you're not putting the big foundation stones down anymore, but you still continue to build. When I was a young child, there was a time where, you know, sunlight would come up and friends would kind of gather around and I lived on a cul-de-sac and then you would be gone in the summer until it started to get dark and then everybody went home again. But you had all this time to yourselves. 
provided you didn't do anything illegal or that caused anybody to get hurt, then you basically were off on your own. And sometimes it was a few of us and sometimes it was a whole gaggle of us, but we used to have this time. And where I lived in Northern Virginia, there were lots of these kind of um, irrigation creeks that had been lined with broken stones. And what we found was that sometimes when things flooded, that you couldn't get from one side of the path to the other because then the water's inundated and you weren't able to go anywhere. But what we did figure out, took us a little bit of time, but what we did figure out is when the waters were low or the creek was dry, if we took rocks and we piled them in the middle, then when the water came, we would have a bridge to walk on. And so we got to the point where we were constantly looking for the big rocks to put there and to kind of build that up. And at first, it was just almost like step stones, right? Like even if we can just kind of hop along, we'll be able to make it over to the other side. But then even when it wasn't raining or we didn't think there was rain coming, if you went and you walked down that creek or you crossed over the path, you'd always find one of us trying to pick up rocks and lay it down there because the day was going to come when we were going to need to cross over and we needed to stay dry. And so we would build this bridge together, rock by rock, day by by day. And one day we came and someone had scattered all of our rocks. And we stood there looking at that. Now we had built this up over time. So some of us were angry. Some of us were just upset and feeling kind of hopeless. Like if we do this again, is somebody just going to come and tear it all down again? And we stood there looking at it. And I'll never forget, my friend who was my same age, her little sister was following us around today. And she walked down into that creek bed, that dry little creek bed, and she picked up one of the biggest stones that she could carry, and she brought it over, and she put it right at our feet. And then she went back, and she got another, and another. And the rest of us kind of looked at each other and went, I guess we rebuild. We rebuild. And we built back that bridge. And I have no idea if that bridge is still standing. I stopped playing around in the summers and I stopped crossing over creek beds. But I will never forget that while the rest of us just stood there going, what are we going to do now? That the youngest in our midst was like, we're building. We're building. And it is unequivocal that life as an adult is hard. Throughout the course of my ministry, I've had times where someone says to me, you know, I can remember when I used to go to all these weddings and these baby showers, and now all I do is go to funerals. I've had people say to me, you know, I'm the last one. All of my friends are gone. They're all waiting on the other side. But they didn't stop building. Maybe as we become older, the stones aren't as large. Maybe they're not as heavy. But every stone built our bridge. The small ones, the big ones, the smooth ones, the jagged ones, all of them built our bridge. Every day of your life, are you picking up a stone 
and building something for the one who is the cornerstone and the capstone. Because Christ is the foundation of all of our lives as disciples. And everything we do is about building his kingdom here. And one day when our last, left, last breath leaves us in this life, people will gather maybe even in a space just like this and they will talk about our legacy. They will talk about who we were. They'll talk about the things, that, the biographical information that people always share. But at the end of the day, the people sitting there listening and participating as the body of Christ gathered at our funerals will remember what we built. Did we build bridges and relationships? Did we build community for people who didn't feel like they could be a part of anything? Did we build sanctuaries for those who were hungry and thirsty, who were strangers? What did we build with our lives? And we build with our actions, we build with our words, we build with our presence, we build. And so when Jesus looked at the temple, a mighty building, brick upon brick upon brick, and Jesus looked at it and said, I can tear that down and rebuild it. The disciples looked at him and were like, that? You're going to rebuild that? No, I'm going to build it bigger and better. I'm not just going to build one temple. I'm going to build an entire city that will stand forevermore. And the earth as we know it will pass away, but what my disciples build will stand for all time, all people. That's what's at stake. You and I are builders. We are building. Now somebody might come and try to destroy your bridge and destroy your building. God knows that there are those that do. But together, we rebuild stronger and faster so that more people have a safe, dry place to save them from the flood of human sin and earthly evil. That is what we are doing. Our code, how we behave, is about making sure that every single day we pick up a brick and we put it in the place where Christ would have us lay it. As you build today and in the days ahead, whatever it is that God has placed on your heart and in your mind and in the depths of your spirit to build, may you build boldly. For there are plenty who are looking for a sanctuary city like that of God's people. And as you build, what you discover is your light glows. And all those who are seeking warmth and shelter and hope are drawn to the light. The light came into the world, and the darkness could not overcome it. May it be so with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC.
Have a great week.